baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and second comforter. Um, and, you know, my personal experiences. To start off with, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is a priesthood ordinance. If we turn to DNC 76, verse 52, it says that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed to this power. Well, what is this power? You know, this power is the first order of Melchizedek priesthood or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And we see an example of this priesthood being uh, bestowed and sealed in 3rd Nephi chapter 11, verse, seven, verse 18. And it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, this is Christ, for Nephi was among the multitude, and he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and to kiss his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended into heaven. Now Christ bestowing this power upon Nephi and then the rest of the 12 disciples is the ordination referred to in DNC 7652. The sealing referred to in DNC 7652 is described in 3 Nephi chapter 18. Verse 36, and it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples whom he had chosen, one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake. Therefore, they did not bear record, but the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost. And I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. And it came to pass that when Jesus had touched them all, there came a cloud and overshadowed the multitude that they could not see Jesus. Now, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood was restored to Joseph Smith by Peter, James, and John. But this order of the priesthood is only sealed upon a man by Jesus Christ, just as the account here in 3 Nephi 18. Now, it's only possible to receive the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when there is an open dispensation, which means that the heavens are open. If we go to DNC um, 84, verse 19, and this greater priesthood, being distinguished from the Levitical and Aaronic priesthoods. Um, and this greater priesthood, meaning the first order of Melchizedek priesthood or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, administereth the gospel. Well, how does this order of the priesthood administer the gospel? First, it is the power and authority by which the terrestrial order of the gospel, the Church of Christ, is uh, overseen. Second, it has the power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism by water into the terrestrial order. Now, baptism by water by the Aaronic priesthood is done into the preparatory gospel. 
But baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel is accomplished by the authority of the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And then third, it has the power and authority when it's been sealed upon a man that he might perform as directed by the Holy Ghost, the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, how does this order of the priesthood hold the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God? And there are two ways. First, after a man or woman has received the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, then they are entitled, if they ask and if they knock, to receive the instruction about what is required of them to be able to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. Now, this is more than just a vision. And this is even more than having Christ come down and visit one on this earth. This is like Moses in Moses 1 or Nephi in 1 Nephi 11 to have an ascension experience. Not just to see into the heavens, but to go into the seventh heaven where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And there, Christ uh, will make our calling and election sure. The second way in which this order of the priesthood holds the key to the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key to the knowledge of God, is that for a man, he must be both ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood before he's able to ascend to the seventh heaven and come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. Verse 20, Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. Now, the power of godliness in this context has reference to the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 21, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Or in other words, when there is not a man on the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, it is not possible to receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the definition of an open dispensation is that there is a man on the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. Joseph Smith, when he was ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood, opened again the heavens and opened a new dispensation. And after over a thousand years, it began to be possible again for men and women to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, but this ordinance may be performed by a man on this side of the veil or the other who's been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. However, um, only when the heavens are opened and there's an open dispensation is a man on the other side of the veil allowed to perform this ordinance. In the millennial star, you know, August 1843, um, under the title, Gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we have the following quote. In the renewal of the covenant with the children of men, and the renewal of the covenant is the new and everlasting covenant. 
And the new and everlasting covenant is based on our sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, which we make as an oath to God. And then in return, God makes an oath back to us that when we fully enter or offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that he will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. If we go to 3 Nephi 9, Christ declares these very words. In verse 20, And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And in verse 17, And as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. One of the things that happens with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is that Christ adopts us as his sons or his daughters. And for the first time, we actually become children of Christ. Before the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we make covenant that we're willing to take upon us Christ's name. But we don't actually receive the honor of taking upon us Christ's name until he extends it to us through the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And before that can happen, as we read in 3 Nephi chapter 19, he must plead our case before Father and receive permission from Father to adopt us as his sons and daughters. And then is that ordinance authorized to be performed. Continuing in Millennial Star. August 1843, in the renewal of the covenant with the children of men, or the new and everlasting covenant. And, you know, a covenant is comprised of two parts, two oaths. And the new and everlasting covenant is comprised of an oath by us and an oath by God. Our oath is the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. God's oath back to us, which he cannot break is that he will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Um, now, at a bare minimum, the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit means that we lay everything upon the altar. And the specifics of what is required of us can only be received by revelation. So as we enter into this covenant, we will receive by revelation exactly what God would have us do and what he would require of each one of us individually that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we will not receive it one moment sooner than we comply with all of the commandments which God will give to us regarding the sacrifice. So, one of the things that happens is we become sons and daughters of Christ. Another thing that happens is that physical change required so that at a future time we can come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory without dying, it also takes place. Another thing that happens is the Gentile blood is burned out of us and we become blood Israel, as referenced to in 3 Nephi 16, verse 13. Another thing that happens is that we ascend to the level of elect. 
and during the times which are quickly coming upon us as we go on that end time exodus with Joseph, which culminates with meeting up with Enoch and the return of his city and establishing New Jerusalem, um, we then qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with us and help us ascend to the next spiritual level, the church of the firstborn level, coming into Christ's presence in his glory and having our calling and election made sure. So continuing the millennial star quote, in the renewal of the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant with the children of men, which happened when Joseph Smith was ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. There are many subjects of great interest to the saints and of unspeakable value, but the gift of the Holy Ghost stands preeminently distinguished as the greatest gift that man could receive or deity bestow. The possession of this gift, which is the power of godliness, as is referenced in the verses we read in DNC 84, is what constitutes the special difference between the church of the living God and the multitude of systems that have originated through the will of man. Now, it must be noted that around the time of the death of Joseph Smith, um, the heavens were closed. And there was no longer a man found upon the earth who had been ordained and sealed unto this power. And that we would have to wait until Joseph Smith would return shortly before Christ coming in his glory to have the heavens opened again. And for it to be possible again for men and women to enter into the new covenant and receive the baptism of fire, baptism, Holy Ghost. In DNC 124, you know, we're told that the Lord was giving the saints one last chance to repent and return and receive everything that had been taken from them when they had been demoted from the terrestrial church of Christ in 1834 to the Church of the Latter-day Saints, to the preparatory gospel. And the Lord says, you know, if you will repent and return, I restore the Melchizedek priesthood to you, the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood, and everything that I have taken from you. Um, and this will be evidenced by the completion of the Nauvoo Temple during the lifetime of Joseph Smith. But if not, you will stand rejected as a church with your dead. Verse 28 in DNC 124. For there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you or which he hath taken away even the fullness of the priesthood, meaning the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood or the power to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 31. But I command you, all ye my saints, to build a house unto me. And I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me, parenthetically, during the lifetime of Joseph Smith. And during this time, your baptism shall be acceptable unto me. Now, I have to note that although there were seven dedications carried out on the Nauvoo Temple, the first one being on the attic, the next five on various portions, the last one being on the entire temple, 
um, the temple still wasn't finished during the last dedication, but it was a moot point because the time allotted was during the life of Joseph Smith. And all of these were carried out after his martyrdom. <laughs> Verse 32. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of your appointment, you shall be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord your God. And that's exactly what happened. Because we didn't repent and return, we were demoted from the telestial preparatory gospel to the rejected as a church with your dead order of the gospel. And we were to remain that way until, as is prophesied in the parable of redemption of Zion and DNC 101, and its commentary in 103, that Joseph Smith would return before the coming of Christ to open again the heavens and finish the restoration to gather out the strength of the Lord's house and to commence the marvelous work and a wonder or the gathering out of Israel from the four corners of the earth for the establishment of new Jerusalem in preparation for Christ coming in his glory. Now, second Nephi 31. Verses 7 through 9. And know ye not that he was holy, Christ. But notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh he humbleth himself before Father, and witnesses unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. Wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there is a great mystery and grand secret contained in those words. For the man who officiated in the office of Holy Ghost came down from the heavens and he personally performed for Christ the ordinance of baptism, a fire baptism of the Holy Ghost. And thus Christ showed us that we must be baptized both with water into the terrestrial church of Christ and receive the ordinance of baptism, a fire baptism of the Holy Ghost, or we cannot return to live with Christ and Father in the heavens. Verse 9. And again, it showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. And if we cross-reference to Alma, chapter 7, verse 14. Now I say unto you that ye must repent and be born again. Now this born again being talked about by Alma is the being born again that happens through the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For the Spirit saith, if ye are not born again, or if ye do not receive the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, ye cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, come and be baptized unto repentance, that ye may be washed from your sins, that ye may have faith on the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, who is mighty to save and to cleanse us from all sin. And perhaps that gives us additional insight to the quote of the millennial star, which says 
The gift of the Holy Ghost stands preeminent as the greatest gift that man could receive or deity bestow. For a man and a woman cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven without it. And Christ was the example he showed us the way. Now back to 2 Nephi 31. Verses 17 through 19. Wherefore do the things which I have told you that I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. For for this cause have they been shown unto me that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in the straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. So, 2 Nephi 31 and 32 is actually a commentary on Lehi's Tree of Life vision. And the gate through which one must pass to get on that straight and narrow path that leads to the tree who is Christ to partake of the fruit, which is eternal life, is repentance and baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel and the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then are we on that path. Continuing, verse 17. That ye might know the gate by which ye should enter, for the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. Now this repentance and baptism by water that's being referred to is not the baptism by water into the preparatory gospel by the Aaronic priesthood which is very beneficial, but it's not a saving ordinance. The baptism by water that is being referred to is baptism by water by the authority of the apostolic order because it priesthood into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And then the ordinance of baptism by fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 18, and then are ye in the straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Yea, ye have entered in by the gate, and ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son, and ye have received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and the Son unto the fulfilling of the promises which he hath made, that if ye entered in by the way ye should receive, which is exactly what Christ outlines in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 20, that if we offer up a sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, we will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the greatest gift that man can receive or God can bestow. Verse 19. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten unto, into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay. For ye cannot come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshakable faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Or in other words, also what it means to offer up as a sacrifice a broken heart and contrite spirit is, the last part of verse 19, for ye have not come thus far. Thus far meaning the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this is how. Save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him. Now it's important to understand that what we normally define as faith, which is belief and trust, is actually hope. And we must combine hope or belief and trust with faith. But faith is seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. And this is what it means that we have not come thus far, save it 
were by the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the receiving and acting on revelation, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Now this relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save is the hope aspect of what's required to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. So we must combine hope or relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save with faith, which is seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. And that's how we come to a broken heart and contrite spirit. And that's how we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and everything that comes after it. If we go to Mosiah 4. The last part of verse 1. And behold, the multitude had fallen to the earth, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them, and they viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they all cried out aloud with one voice, saying, Oh, have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and that our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created heaven and earth and all things, who shall come down among the children of men. Now King Benjamin's people are completing the last of the tasks required of them to come into a broken heart and contrite spirit. And this is the account of their baptism of fire directly preceding their baptism of the Holy Ghost coming in the next chapter. Now, we may receive many baptisms of fire throughout our life. And the purpose of a baptism of fire is to sanctify us. And a baptism of fire can happen at any time in the earth's history. A baptism of fire is not uh, dependent on the heavens being opened. And a baptism of fire always accompanies the baptism of the Holy Ghost. However, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is an ordinance that can only happen when the heavens are opened. And that baptism of fire which accompanies the baptism of the Holy Ghost, will be the most profound baptism of fire that you will ever receive until that baptism of fire that progresses to transfiguration, which will allow you to come into Christ's presence in his glory in preparation for your ascension experience like Moses. And verse 3. And it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon them, and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins. This is the sanctification of a baptism of fire. And having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. And then continuing in chapter 5, verse 2. And they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth, because of the Spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. Now, this is evidence of that born-again experience that comes with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost as a large percentage of the natural man in us dies, 
and we become born again as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, we lose our disposition to sin, and we hunger and thirst after, thirst after righteousness. And verse 3, and we ourselves also through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit have great views of that which is to come, and were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. Or in other words, in 2 Nephi 31, at the end of verse 13. And then ye receive the Holy Ghost, yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then can ye speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Now, the people of King Benjamin, uh, it being said of them, were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. This is another evidence of their having received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're being able to speak with the tongue of angels, which is to speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, or in other words, word expedient, we could prophesy all things. And continuing in verse 5, and we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will and to be obedient to his commandments in all things, that he shall command us all the remainder of our days. Another aspect of what it means to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. That we may not bring upon ourselves a never-ending torment, as has been spoken by the angel, that we might not drink out of the cup of the wrath of God. For it is impossible for a man or woman to enter into heaven without receiving the ordinance to baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 7. And now, because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. And again, it is impossible for a man or woman to take upon them the name of Christ until the ordinance of baptism, of fire baptism, of the Holy Ghost, because it has not yet been extended to us. And as King Benjamin's people are receiving the baptism of fire baptism, of the Holy Ghost, Christ is adopting them as his sons and daughters, and is extending his name to them. You shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he has spiritually begotten you, for you say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore, ye are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters. And under this head, ye are made free. And there is no other head whereby ye can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore, I would that you should take upon you the name of Christ, all you that have entered into the covenant with God, the new and everlasting covenant, that ye should be obedient unto the end of your lives. And it shall come to pass that whosoever doeth this shall be found at the right hand of God, for he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. And now it shall come to pass that whosoever will not take upon him the name of Christ must be called by some other name. Therefore, he findeth himself on the left hand of God. And I would that you should remember also that this is the name that I said should be given unto you, that never should be blotted out except it be through transgression. Therefore, take heed that ye do not transgress, that the name be not blotted out of your hearts. And I say unto you, I would that ye should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that ye are not found on the left hand of God, 
but that ye hear and know the voice by which ye shall be called, and also the name by which he shall call you. For how knoweth a man the master whom he hath not served, and who is a stranger unto him, and is far from the thoughts and intents of his heart? And verse 15, Therefore I would that ye should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God omnipotent may seal you his, that ye may be brought to heaven. Now this sealing and this being brought to heaven is the next step on the path of ascension and is the next part in the doctrine of Christ to literally come into Christ's presence in his glory and be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And the sealing is the sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise talked about in DNC 76 verse 53. In fact, if we go to DNC 76, verse 53, and who overcometh by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Jesus Christ, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. And there are at least two instances in King Benjamin's talk, his address, that he refers to those who have ascended to the level of just and true. This level of just and true is the level of coming into Christ's presence in his glory through an ascension experience, receiving one's calling and election made sure, which is the sealing talked about by the Holy Spirit of promise in verse 53. And now going back to Mosiah chapter five, that Christ, the Lord gone omnipotent may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven, that ye may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. Amen. And now Moses chapter 6, verses 64 through 68. And it came to pass that when the Lord had spoken with Adam, our father, that Adam cried unto the Lord and was caught away by the spirit of the Lord. And he was carried down into the water and was laid under the water and was brought forth out of the water. And thus he was baptized and the spirit of God descended upon him. And thus he was born of the spirit and became quickened in the inner man. And this was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost of Adam. The doctrine of Christ was instituted with Adam and has been the same ever since. And whenever there is a restoration of the gospel, whenever a new dispensation is opened, the doctrine of Christ is always restored and the path of ascension is restored and there is no other path. There is no other way. Verse 66. And he heard a voice out of heaven saying, thou art baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the record of the Father and the Son from henceforth and forever. And thou art after the order of him who is without beginning of days or end of years, from all eternity to all eternity. Behold, thou art one in me, a son of God. Again, we have sonship coming through the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And thus may all become my sons. Amen. Third Nephi 19. And when they, Christ's 12 disciples, had ministered those same words which Jesus had spoken, nothing varying, 
from the words which Jesus had spoken, behold, they knelt again and prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And they did pray for that which they desired. And they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them, or in other words, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And 13 through 15. And it came to pass that when they were all baptized, they came up out of the water. And the Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And one of the details that is not detailed is that this was actually an ordinance that was performed. As is referenced um, in verse 37 of the prior chapter. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake, therefore he did they did not bear record, but the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost. And back in 3 Nephi 19, 13. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire. Now, this is something that is typical of receiving the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. That fire comes down from heaven. And a man or woman who is receiving it is encircled about by heavenly fire. And it came down from heaven, and the multitude did witness it, and did bear record, and angels did come down out of heaven and did minister unto them. And this is also typical. Whenever a baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is received, it is not only accompanied by heavenly fire, it is also accompanied by angels coming down out of heaven. And this heavenly fire is also referred to in Acts when Christ's 12 apostles on the day of Pentecost received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost as flaming tongues of fire. And verse 15, and it came to pass that while the angels were ministering unto the disciples, behold, Jesus came and stood in the midst and ministered unto them. So great an event was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost of the 12, that not only did fire and angels come down from heaven, but Christ personally came and ministered unto them. And then Christ separated himself from the multitude, and he knelt down, and he cried out unto the Father, thanking him that the twelve whom he had chosen had been baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Verse 19. And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them, and went a little way off from them, and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, Father, I thank thee, that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. And it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. Father, I pray that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. So Jesus Christ had previously pled the case of the twelve before Father and received permission from Father to adopt them as his sons. And now he's pleading for the rest of the Nephites, who will believe in him and who will enter into the new covenant because of their words, that they also might receive the ordinance of baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And verse 22, Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost because they believe in me. And thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them. And they pray unto me and they pray unto me because I am with them. And now, Father, I pray unto these for them and also for all those who shall believe on their words, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one. And Christ 
is able to be in this context, in us, through the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Meaning that after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we have rights to a greater portion of the light of Christ than we ever had before. And we have access to that level of revelation to instruct us about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory, which access we did not have before. And this is how the words are fulfilled that I may be in them. And verse 27 through 29. And he turned and went a little way off and bowed himself to the earth. And he prayed again unto the Father, saying, Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen because of their faith. And I, again, faith, as we read in 2 Nephi 31, is how we are able to come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit or seeking after receiving and acting on revelation, combining that with belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen because of their faith. And I pray for them and also for them who shall believe on their words that they may be purified in me through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, through faith on their words, even as they are purified in me. Father, I pray not for the world. And here Christ repeats words that he cried out in Gethsemane. Father, I pray not for the world but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world. Who is it that the Father has given Christ out of the world? Those who become Christ's sons and daughters through the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Those are they whom the Father has given Christ out of the world. And it's those for whom Christ is pleading now, and it's those for whom Christ was pleading in the garden. Because of their faith that they may be purified in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one, that I may be glorified in them. Now, my search for the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, began before the heavens were opened in our generation. And it began on my LDS mission in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As I read in the Doctrine and Covenants, the clear admonition that we were supposed to seek the face of Christ in this life, and the Spirit greatly impressed upon me the necessity of seeking the face of Christ in this life, but I didn't know exactly what that meant or how to go about it, and hoping that I could receive instruction from my mission president. In my next zone conference interview, I said, President, here's what the Doctrine and Covenant says. And here's what the Spirit impressed mightily upon me. And my mission president said to me, Elder, we don't talk about that. In fact, we don't even think about that in this life. That is reserved exclusively for the next life. And the Spirit said to me, your mission president is a good man. However, he is mistaken on this point. So with nobody that I could go talk to for instruction about how 
we're supposed to seek the face of Christ in this life. All I could do was pray for further light knowledge, which I did almost every day of my life from that day on for over 20 years. And finally, it led to a breakthrough. One night, I was at my chocolate factory in 2015. And I had noticed that in 2015, there were four blood moons, two solar eclipses, all on major Jewish holidays for the first time in 7,000 years. And it occurred to me, this certainly seems like a sign in the heavens of some event on the earth. As I wrestled with what that could possibly be, as I, as I took different uh, conclusions to the Lord, finally, um, he confirmed the conclusion that I had taken to him, that this marked the countdown to the event, Adam on Diamon. That uh, event at which all of those who have held dispensational keys would assemble at Adam on Diamon, deliver up their keys to Father, who would then give all of the keys that ever did and ever will pertain to this earth to Christ, and Christ would give them out to those who would need them for the roles that they had in the events that would lead up to a second coming. Those keys are mostly given to John the Revelator and Joseph Smith. And then Christ would begin ordaining the 144,000. And so as I'm at my chocolate factory one night in 2015, my electrician comes in, who is a pretty spiritual man. And I said to him, there are signs in the heavens. And I believe they're heralding the countdown to Adam on Diamond. And so the conclusion we came to is that if this was true, we needed to be listening to the voice of the Spirit better than we had in the past. And we had been earnestly striving in the past, but we needed to step up our game. And when the Spirit spoke, we needed to be acting immediately. So as I'm exiting the factory that night, I climb, and climb up into my vehicle and a voice from behind me says, do you have any money? And I never carry cash on me, but I happen to have a $20 bill in my vehicle. So I grab the 20 bucks. I turn around and I hand them, I hand it to the gentleman and I ask him, would this help? Now there was something different about this man's face because light was pouring out of it. And it was as if he had flashlights on in his eyes. And I had the quick impression that I was talking to an angel. And so I asked him, well, tell me your feelings about God. And he proceeded to bear one of those powerful witnesses of Christ that I'd ever heard. And the spirit bore witness of his testimony. And I said, well, in that light, we have signs in the heavens this year. And I believe they're heralding the countdown to Adam on Diamond. What do you think about that? And he said, well, as he looked around, I don't know what's about to happen. And then he looks me dead in the eye, but I do know that something is about to happen. And then he said, you and I better be on the first bus out of here before Christ comes or we're not going to make it. And then he said a few other things to me. And then he said the very thing that I had noticed about him, but had said nothing. He said to me, I see a light in your eyes that I don't see in many people. And then this 70 year old looking man bolted off as if he was a 21 year old track star and he was gone. Well, my electrician who had been watching from his truck in the adjacent parking lot, he walks over and he said, well, you know, that was an angel, don't you? And I said, well, that thought had crossed my mind. And so the next morning, as I'm kneeling in prayer after reading the scriptures, I said, Heavenly Father, here's what happened last night. I had the impression that I was talking to an angel. Um, my electrician said I was talking to an angel. 
Here are all the events. Was he a true messenger? And was the message that he gave me from you to me? And I was impressed to open up to Moroni 7 and read the last half of the chapter, part of which is about angels appearing to men before the coming of Christ. So I kneeled back down and I said, Father, I just asked you if he was and if his message was, and you had me open up to Moroni 7, and here's what it said. I'm taking that as a yes. Have I come to the right conclusion? And that's when I got a witness of the Spirit. That's when I knew for certain that he was, in fact, a true messenger. That's when I knew that the message that he gave me was from Father to me that I was on the right track by coming to the conclusion that I needed to be listening to the voice of the Spirit better than I had in the past. When the Spirit spoke, I needed to be acting immediately. That what he meant by you and I better be on the first bus out of here before Christ comes or we're not going to make it was you better get your heart out of Babylon or you're not going to make it. And from that moment, it was as if scales fell from my eyes. And as I began the Book of Mormon again, which I'd read well over 50 times by that point, I started to see things that I had never before seen. I saw the blueprint about how we are to come into Christ's presence in his glory in this life. And it's the doctrine of Christ. It's offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit, receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then being instructed about how to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. It had been right in front of my eyes the entire time. The difference was that when I had been first impressed by the Spirit to seek after these things, the heavens were not yet open. But as of 2015, they had been opened. And so I started to be able to connect the dots by the power of the Spirit. Now, it began weighing heavily upon me. You have to find out for certain if you have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But not understanding that the heavens hadn't been opened. I was certain that I already had. Because I could look back on several baptisms of fire, which had been very powerful, and I was convinced that one of those, and one in particular, was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But as I'm sitting in church one day, the Spirit's weighing so heavily upon me that I walk out of the church building. And while still on the church grounds, I say a prayer and I say, Heavenly Father, have I received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? And I'm shocked when the answer comes back loud and clear, no. I go, oh, all my pride is deflated which is useful when you're trying to come to a broken heart and contrite spirit. And I said, okay, Heavenly Father, I now covenant with you that I give you permission to give me whatever experiences I yet lack, that I might come to a broken heart and contrite spirit, and I'm ready for the next experience to start right now. And then also by the instruction of the Spirit, I said, and I lay everything upon the altar. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I will become, my will, and my life. Well, over the next six months, my life changed in the most dramatic ways possible. 
as God gave me the rest of the experiences that I needed to come to a broken heart and contrite spirit that I might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I woke up six months later and the spirit said to me, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I said, what am I willing to sacrifice? Over the last six months, I've had to sacrifice quite a lot. The spirit said, no, I don't mean external things. I mean, internally, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I said, well, in addition to everything, because I can tell you're looking for something specific, here's what I'm willing to sacrifice internally. And then the spirit said to me, you are going to be offering a prayer today and you better prepare for it. I didn't know why, I didn't know when, um, but I was given the subject matter and it was Pentecost, the day on which the 12 apostles received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So as providence would have it, that night I'd been invited to a celebration of holy days and the holy day that was being celebrated was Pentecost. And I was at uh, a home in Highland that was packed full of people. And there were all kinds of people. There was a woman who worked with Mother Teresa in India. There were um, church officials. There were BYU professors and everybody in between. And so I'm sitting on the front row and I'm listening to this presentation by a BYU professor on Pentecost. And as he's giving his presentation on Pentecost, my heart catches on fire. Now, this baptism of fire that I began to have was not unlike other baptisms of fire that I'd had previously. Um, and as I began having this baptism of fire, the Spirit said mightily to me, you are to offer the prayer that you've been preparing for all day long. But I said, Father, this hardly seems like the time or the place. There's a whole organized program, and I'm not on it. Um, and I'm in front of a house full of people whom I do not know. But so powerful was the impression of the spirit that I just said, Father, I will find a way. And as soon as I said, I will find a way, the spirit told me exactly what to do. The spirit said, well, just lean over to the woman sitting next to you and ask her if you can offer a prayer because she organized the event. But before. As soon as the professor finished, before I could lean over to meet her, she leaned over to me and she asked me, would you say a prayer, which was not on the printed program? Now, how does that happen except by the spirit? And so I kneeled down and the spirit couldn't let me off that easy. The spirit said, you're not just going to pray. You are going to cry out unto God. And as you cried unto God, you're going to raise your hands above your head. And I gulped and I said, okay, even though I was certain that I was going to be run out on a rail, I lifted my hands above my head and I began crying out unto God. And the first 30 seconds of that crying out unto God was a prayer of preparation. And then it transitioned from a prayer of preparation to a prayer of revelation. And it was no longer me talking. The spirit completely took over, and it was as if I was sitting across the room just listening to the words that were coming out of my mouth, for it was far beyond my own capability. 
And as soon as that transition took place, that fire that had engulfed my heart, it spread to my entire body. And now my body was on fire. And then it felt like someone took a sword and lunged it deep into my chest. And now part of me was starting to die. And then it felt like I took hold of two high voltage power electrical lines and I started to be electrocuted. So my body is on fire. I have a sword in my chest. Part of me is dying and I'm being electrocuted. And the spirit said powerfully to me, you are receiving the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as powerful as my prior baptisms of fire had been, they were nothing in comparison to this baptism of fire, which accompanied the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And immediately I knew why none of my prior baptisms of fire had been the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was the most powerful, overwhelming experience of my life by a wide margin. In fact, it was so overwhelming that I could only even take in a thin slice. Well, as soon as the spirit finished crying out through me, I sat back in my chair and I kind of slunched down, being completely overwhelmed. And the woman who asked me to say the prayer, she leans over to me again and she says, I feel electricity coming off of your body. Well, it continued the entire evening. And at some point, I feel a faint spark of rebirth. And it was almost like a balanced scale between birth and death. As the feeling of death and dying became just a little bit less. And the feeling of being born again became stronger and stronger. Well, it continues as I'm driving home that night. And I really shouldn't have been driving because I was driving under the influence of the spirit and I barely make it home. And it continues until I fall asleep. Well, I awaken the next morning and I was not the same man that I had been the prior morning when I had awakened every cell in my body cried out in testimony. You have been born again, a son of God. So I opened the scriptures to see what this change would mean. And what the day before had been like turning on the kitchen faucet. In terms of thoughts, ideas, and impressions that would come into my mind as I prayed this day, it was as if multiple fire hoses had been turned on. And then I knelt to pray. And that two-way connection with heaven that usually takes a lot of time and effort and battle and struggle to achieve, it seemed to come almost immediately. Well, the next morning I awakened and I was still changed. And the next morning I awakened and I was still changed. Well, that weekend was Avraham Gileadis for Zion Conference at UVU. And as I'm in the outer lobby, the woman in whose home I had been at, she recognized me and she came up to me and she said, wow, what a powerful outpouring of the spirit we had the other night. It's too bad that that intensity can't remain with us. The only thing that I could do was look at her and say, for me, it has remained. Well, as I contemplated that day about what comes next, I knew full well what comes next. After you receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, then you ask and you knock and you feast upon the words of Christ that you might be instructed about how to part the veil and come into Christ's presence in his glory. Well, as soon as I had this thought, immediately the voice of the adversary came to my mind and said, who do you think you are? What an audacious thought. And I thought to myself, man, could I so quickly have become consumed by pride? 
that I think that I could even attempt working on parting the veil. And so I, I sent a good friend a text and I said, hey, am I being too audacious to think that I could even begin this, this journey? And he texted me back and he said, the Lord loves audacious. And that was all I needed to hear. No longer would I listen to what any dark entity would whisper into my ear to discourage me. And I wouldn't look to the right or the left, but only straight ahead. Well, months previous, I'd planned a trip with a few other men to go down to an area in central Utah called Parowan Gap. Um, and the purpose was just to take a few days to focus on praising and worshiping God, you know, to, to strengthen the relationship and to even better learn the voice of the Spirit, to seek after, receive, and act on revelation or exercise faith. And it just so happened that it was two weeks from the time that I received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the objective was just to listen to whatever the voice of the Spirit would instruct. So the first thing the Spirit said to do was to build an altar. And so we built an altar out of unhewn stone. And the next thing the Spirit said was pitch the doors of your tent so that they face the altar, which we did. We spent the rest of that evening sitting in camp chairs around the altar, you know, relating spiritual experiences, um, praying, singing hymns, and reading scripture. And the plan was that each man would retire to his tent, would have an all-night Enos prayer, and that we would assemble again at four in the morning and continue. Well, as I retired to my tent um, to begin my all-night prayer, a storm came in, and the temperature dropped down into the 30s, and I was not dressed for 30-degree weather, and I made it a couple of hours, but soon I was so cold I couldn't take it anymore, and I climbed into my sleeping bag. Well, to be able to take off enough time, I'd had to stay up all night three nights without being able to catch up on any of that sleep. So by the time uh, it came to go down to Parowan Gap, I was literally physically ill with lack of sleep. And if you're going to have an all-night prayer and you've missed three nights of sleep, you better not crawl in your sleeping bag. So my all-night prayer lasted about 15 more minutes, and then I was out cold. And instead of waking up at 3.30 so I could join the other men at 4, my eyes didn't open until 9 a.m. the next morning. And I looked at my watch. I thought, oh, man, I've blown it. I worked so hard to get here. And now I've blown any opportunity I might have had to have a powerful spiritual experience. And I felt terribly guilty. And I, I stuck my head out of my tent. I looked around. Nobody else was there. But I did see a neighboring foothill, and I was impressed by the spirit to go to the top. And when I reached the top, I saw all the other men there. They'd been there for hours doing whatever they were doing, and now they were ready to come back down, which just made me feel more guilty. So as we got down to the bottom, we sat again in our camp chairs around the altar, and the Spirit said to partake of the sacrament. So we blessed, and we partook of the sacrament. And as we're taking the sacrament, I covenanted to again 
take upon me the name of Christ, which I was now able to covenant with God, not only that I was willing to take upon me the name of Christ, but that was I was actually able to take upon me the name of Christ. And I didn't want to disappoint him. And I wanted to live up to the responsibility that he had placed on my shoulders. And as I was in the process of again taking his name upon me, I started receiving a powerful baptism of fire. And as I'm receiving this baptism of fire, the spirit says powerfully to me, you have to pray right now. So I fall upon my knees and I start crying out unto God. And within a few moments, the spirit completely takes over. And again, it quickly transitions to a prayer of revelation. As I finish, I'm left unto myself. And the spirit says to me, now proclaim as loud as you can the Hosanna shout. Now, even considering where I am and who I'm with, this was a really uncomfortable prompting by the spirit. And I just, I said, okay. (laughs) And I did. As loud as I could, I proclaimed the Hosanna shout. And I was half hoping that everybody would join in with me. However, nobody did. It was dead silent. However, as I proclaimed the Hosanna shout, fire came down from heaven upon the altar and upon me. And the humble altar that we had built became an altar in the temple. And my baptism of fire increased in intensity exponentially. And then a second man was impressed to pray. He falls upon his knees, and I'm still upon my knees. And he begins crying out unto God, and halfway through his prayer, he proclaims the Hosanna shout. And this time, everybody joined in. And as everybody joined in this Hosanna shout, additional fire came down from heaven. And that altar became an altar in the Holy of Holies. And to try and describe what happened next. First, let me open up to Moses chapter 1. And before I start in Moses 1, there are three different levels that we can have visual experiences with deity on. The first level is is what is called a type 1 vision. And when our spirit's in our body, our body creates static and interference for our spiritual eyes. But we can start opening our spiritual eyes and see what's happening on the other side of the veil. Um, But everything is usually very dim. We may just see a flash, a glimpse, an outline, not a lot of detail, but we are actually being able to see what's happening on the other side of the veil, either around us or someplace else. Type one vision. A type two experience encompasses a broader range of experiences. A type two experience can include a daytime waking high definition vision like Joseph Smith had during the first vision. It can include a near-death experience where we meet Christ. It can include Christ coming down in physical form like he did with his apostles after his resurrection, or like he did with the Nephites after his resurrection. It can include a prophetic or revelatory dream. And 
we can have type one and type two experiences without having received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and without the heavens being opened. And there are many who have believed that they have had the second comforter experience, and actually what they have experienced is a type one or type two experience. Um, and while that is a preparatory experience, it's not the second comforter experience. When Christ came down and visited the Nephites in Third Nephi 11, they hadn't yet received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that experience physically with Christ was in preparation for the ascension experience that they would later have. Well, a type three experience is not to see in vision. And it's not even to have Christ come down here and visit us. A type three experience is to ascend like Moses did into the high mountain, which is not a heavenly mountain, but the, or which is not an earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain, or what Isaiah and Enoch call the seventh heaven, or that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And this is a type three experience. This experience must be preceded by the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then a brand new baptism of fire, which leads to transfiguration, which leads to ascension. And this is the circumstance in which we have our calling election made sure or are sealed by the Holy Spirit promise who is Christ in the seventh heaven in his glory. And this is described by Moses in Moses chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. The words of God which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain. And again, this high mountain was not an earthly mountain, but this was a heavenly mountain. And he saw God face to face, and he talked with him. And the glory of God was upon Moses, therefore Moses could endure his presence. Or in other words, Moses was transfigured and taken up to the seventh heaven. And in the seventh heaven came into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. Now, what had preceded this? You know, Moses received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost at the burning bush. He then, directly before the account, starting in verse 1, he starts having a baptism of fire, which progresses to transfiguration or the glory of God came upon him and he went up to the seventh heaven. Now in verse nine, and the presence of God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses and Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell to the earth. Or in other words, as soon as transfiguration is over, you cannot stay in Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And so as soon as Moses' transfiguration was over, he fell back to the earth. And verse 10, and it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength like unto man. And he said unto himself, now for this cause I know that man is nothing which thing I never had supposed. Now, this is a great insight to the experience of going up to the seventh heaven. It is not a casual experience. Um, or 
what I often describe as chummy. And whenever I hear someone describe a casual experience with Christ, um, although it is deeply intimate, it is not casual. I immediately know they certainly did not go into the seventh heaven, into Christ's presence in his glory. For the Nephites, in a preparatory experience, not in Christ's presence in his glory, but having Christ come and visit them in 3 Nephi chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise, and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole, the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side, and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do, going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record, that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets should, could, should come. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, which means, oh God, save us now. Blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. Now, the one thing that this experience was not was casual. Because when one comes into Christ's presence, and when one feels the prince of the nails, and thrust their hands into his side. One comes to an understanding. As they never could have before. The terrible price which Christ paid. And that awful gulf that separates us from him. And so when Moses. Went up into the seventh heaven. Into Christ's presence in his glory. He understood to a level that he never could have prior that terrible price which Christ paid for him or would pay for him and that awful gulf that separated Moses from Christ. And therefore he realized that he was nothing, which thing that he never had supposed. And when you come into Christ's presence in his glory, you have the additional spiritual understanding of the terrible spiritual price that Christ paid as he literally found himself in the olive press being crushed to death. And that level of understanding can only come when one enters into his presence and his glory. And this is what Moses experienced. And we gain some important insight in verse 11 about this second comfort or ascension experience. But now mine own eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. Or in other words... Until we're translated, we cannot take our physical body into Christ's presence in his glory and not die. However, after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, 
after we ask and we knock and have complied with all that God will tell us about what is required of us to part the veil and come into Christ's presence. We will experience another baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire will progress to a transfiguration. And once we are transfigured, our spirit is then taken up into the heavens. And we are brought into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And there, we receive our second comfort experience. Now, if we go to first Nephi, chapter 10, Nephi describes his ascension experience going up to the high mountain. First Nephi 10, verse 17. And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God. And the Son of God was the Messiah who should come. I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things. Or in other words, he continued to feast upon the words of Christ. By the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, talking about the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. And verse 19, for he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Or in other words, they will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then be instructed about how to part the veil and ascend to the high mountain. And as well in times of old as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. And then in chapter 11, verse 1. For it came to pass that after I had desired to know the things that my father had seen, and believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me, as I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord. Yea, into an exceedingly high mountain, which I never had before seen, upon which I never had before set my foot. This being caught away in the spirit of the Lord was not just Nephi seeing in vision. This was Nephi's spirit being taken to the high mountain. And the spirit said unto me, Behold, what desirest thou? And I said, I desire to behold the things which my father saw. And the Spirit said unto me, Believest thou that thy father saw the tree of which he hath spoken? And I said, Yea, thou knowest that I believe all the words of my father. And when I had spoken these words, the Spirit cried with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna to the Lord, the Most High God, for he is God above all the earth, yea, even above all. And blessed art thou, Nephi, because thou believest in the Son of the Most High God, wherefore thou shalt behold the things which thou hast desired. Now, notice that as Nephi has been transfigured, there is an interim period between the transfiguration and before he is actually presented to the Lord. Um, DNC 84. 
in DNC 84, we learn that the whole purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole purpose of the baptism of fire of the Holy Ghost is that we might enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Verse 23. And now I would have you note that Moses's and Joseph Smith's names are interchangeable in these verses. They sought to do exactly the same thing. Verse 23. Now this Moses slash Joseph Smith plainly taught to the children of Israel slash early saints in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify their people that they might behold the face of God. And we find out in the next verse that beholding the face of God in this instance is not just to see in vision or even to have him come down to this earth but that they might enter into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. It's describing the second comforter experience. It's describing the ascension experience, which Moses had previously had, which Nephi had had. And that is the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to teach the doctrine of Christ, the new covenant, wherein we offer upper broken hearts and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, for this is the sanctification that prepares a man, a woman, or a people to receive the revelation required and then to be obedient and to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Back to Paragon Gap. As the second man proclaimed the Hosanna shout, an additional fire came down from heaven, and that temple altar became an altar in the Holy of Holies. And my baptism of fire progressed from a baptism of fire to a transfiguration. I discovered that my spirit had been taken from my body, and that although different from Nephi's experience, I was also in an intermediary place before being taken up to the seventh heaven. And I found myself standing outside a large stone structure in a land that I had never before seen. And there were a a long series of steps that led up to a massive door on this massive stone structure. And as I reached the top of the stairs, I discovered that there were a series of locks on this door. And as I looked down at my waist, I found a set of keys. I took the keys and I unlocked every lock on the door and I walked inside. And there was, there was nobody that I could see that was inside the room. It was seemingly empty, but it was about three stories tall. Everything was out of carved stone. Um, on the back wall, about three quarters of the way up these three stories, there was a freestanding doorway um, with a very narrow set of stairs that went up to it without any handrails. <laughs> it actually looked you know, very peculiar and out of place, um, unlike anything that I'd ever seen before. And on the back right of this room, there was a large basin of water. And the spirit impressed upon me that I needed to go to the basin of water and wash. And after I finished washing in the basin of water, a man came forward and he dressed me in a white robe. Then he proceeded to place upon me my spiritual armor, including a helmet, foot and shin armor, a breast and back plates. And he handed me a sword and shield. 
and I was made to understand that each part of spiritual armor representative a different aspect of the power of the Holy Ghost. And once I'd been completely clothed in a white robe and spiritual armor, I felt impressed that I needed to ascend that second set of stairs. As I reached the top of that set of stairs, I discovered that there were no locks on this door. As I opened that door, it was like looking into the center of the sun. I was completely blinded. I couldn't see anything. But I knew that Christ was the source of that light. And that he was standing on the other side of the threshold of that door. As I walked through the threshold of that door, I found myself in a vertical portal of light with Christ, even though I could not see him. Even though I was completely blinded by the light that radiated from him. And I was ascending upward at a very rapid rate of speed. And the only thing that I can liken it to was jumping out of an airplane with a parachute and before pulling the ripcord, you know, falling at terminal velocity, you know, the, uh, your stomach goes up into your throat. At least it did mine. Um, you know, this can be somewhat approximated on a tall roller coaster as you crest the top and plunge down the other side. Well, this is exactly what I was experiencing, except I wasn't going down. I was going up. And when I came to a stop, I found myself in a room high above the earth without any walls. And I could look out into the immensity of space and down upon the curvature of the earth. And Christ was in the middle of the room. And he said to me, what do you desire? Now, I had seen Christ many times in type 1 and type 2 visions. However, I had never been permitted to see his face. It had always been shrouded in glory. But as the moments passed, my eyes started to be able to penetrate his glory. And soon, it was as one man looking at another. And as he asked me what I desired, I said, I desire to feel the prints of the nails, at which point he stretched forth his, his arms, and I walked forward, and I knelt before him, and I pressed my thumbs into the prints of the nails in the palms of his hands, and then his feet and his wrists, and then I thrust my hand into his side. And then he asked me, what do you desire? And I said, I desire to be an eyewitness to the events of your atonement. Immediately, location changed. And I found myself standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. From a distance, watching Christ walk forward with Peter and James and John and Mary Magdalene, his wife. And he stopped. And he gave Peter, James, and John counsel. And then... He walked forward alone with his wife and they stopped and he spoke to her and he embraced her. And then he went off by himself and he began that great intercessory prayer where he said, Father, I pray not for the world but I pray for those whom thou hast given me out of the world that they might be one with us. And while I had always understood 
that the atonement overcame sin and death. I had never realized that that was only the first 25%. And that the remaining 75% was literally the power that Christ gained to extend his hand to his sons and his daughters who would become such through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that he would be able to lift them up to where he was. And thereby, we might become one with Jesus Christ and one with the Father. And as he cried out unto the Father for us, he quickly became drenched in his own sweat and his clothing became soaked. And as the agony, as the intensity increased even more, as he literally found himself in that olive press being crushed to death, soon it was blood that was coming out of every pore. And now his clothing was stained with blood. And as the agony and as the intensity increased even more, as the blood flowed freely from his body, he falls to the earth. And now he's covered with earth and blood, and sweat. And at that moment, the adversary began a vicious assault upon Christ. And demons started to pelt him. And right at that moment, my third-person experience, or perspective, changed to first-person, as if I were in Christ's body. And to some infinitesimal degree of what he experienced, I experienced the greatest suffering that I had ever felt in my life, and it caused my entire body to shake violently. After a period of time, that experience ended, and I found myself in a different part of the garden, back in third person. And I watched as Peter cut off the ear of Malchus, the Jewish Sanhedrin guard, and Christ stooped down. And he picked up that severed ear, and right at the moment of placing it on Malchus's head, again, my third-person perspective changed to first-person, as if I was in Christ's body at the precise moment of healing. Immediately, the location changed, and I found myself at the site of scourging, again in third-person, as they placed those bands upon his wrist. And as they began administering those lashes that literally tore the flesh from his body, again, the blood started to flow freely. And the pain that he experienced during that scourging was exponentially greater than any other mortal has ever experienced during a scourging because of the terrible bruising that he experienced while in the garden, being in that olive press, being crushed to death. And the thing that shocked me was that in the middle of being butchered, the overwhelming feeling of love that radiated from Christ for his sons and daughters and those who would become such. And as they finished the last of those lashes, again, the location changed. And I found myself standing at the base of a hill as they hoisted that cross member upon him. As he reached up to grab it, 
It ripped open all of those deep wounds on his body. And again, the blood started to flow, flow freely from his body as he began to make his way up that hill. It wasn't long before all human strength was completely gone and he fell flat on his face and one came forward and helped him up and picked up that cross member and they made their way to the site of crucifixion. And as they started hammering that first nail through the palm of his hand, again, my third person perspective changed to first person as if they were nailing that nail through the palm of my hand. And I had a vision open up several years prior. I'd been taking my downhill mountain bike up to the top of Squaw Peak and riding down the face at midnight. And after doing this a few nights in a row, I thought, why am I riding all the way up there with only five PSI in my tires? So I put an extra 35 PSI in my tires that the ride up might be a lot easier. And I anticipated just letting the air out on my way down. But when I got to the top, completely forgetting to let the air out, I started going straight down the face of Squaw Peak at midnight. As I went into my first 90 degree left-hand corner, instead of tracking as if it was on rails, my bike came out from underneath me. It went over the berm and I fell straight down on my left hand and my hand still bears this scar on a sharp pointed rock that completely pierced the palm of my hand. As I laid there that night, all by myself in a pool of my own blood, in pain so severe, it was paralyzing. I thought to myself, now I have some small understanding of just one aspect of the physical pain that Christ went through as they nailed him to the cross. And I knew that it was nothing in comparison to what he experienced. And yet I could not imagine being in any more pain than I was in at that time. And once I had been allowed to completely relive that experience, the vision closed and I found myself back at the site of crucifixion, back in third person as they nailed that second nail through the palm of his hand and then through his feet, and then through his wrists. And time was fast forwarded. And I saw the moment at which Father completely withdrew his spirit from Christ. And if Father was to ever completely withdraw his spirit from any one of us, we would immediately die of despair. And it was at that moment when the horrors of Gethsemane returned in full measure upon Jesus Christ, as he again was crushed to death in the olive press as he hung on that cross, but this time being left completely and utterly alone. And this was when he cried out unto Father, Oh, why have you forsaken me? Oh, Father, 
this seems to be more than I can bear. And after a period of time, the voice of father came to his son and declared that it was finished. At which time Christ cried out loud that it was finished. And I saw his body go limp and his head hang down. And I saw his spirit begin to leave his body. And my overwhelming desire was to go exactly where he was going. But I found myself chained and shackled to the ground. And it took every ounce of battle and struggle that I could possibly muster to break free from the chains that held me bound. And to go where he was going. And right at that moment, much as Moses described his transfiguration ending, so did mine. And my spirit fell back to the earth and back into my body. And it was several days before I regained physical strength or full physical strength. Well, a few months later. I was up at my personal altar of Provo Canyon and I was crying out unto God. And just like the morning of my baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit said to me, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I said, I'm willing to sacrifice everything, even my life. And the Spirit said to me, well, are you willing to sacrifice your vehicle, which you like a lot? And uh, at the time, that was one of the only physical things that the Lord had not taken from me. And I said, of course I am. No, that's nothing in comparison to what I've already been asked to sacrifice. And um, then the Spirit said, are you willing to sacrifice your life? And I said, I lay my life on the altar. And as soon as I said that, the baptism of fire that I was having again, trans, uh, transformed into a transfiguration. And I found my spirit back in that vertical portal that goes up to the high room. And when I got to the high room, Christ was there. And again, he asked me, what do you desire? And I said, I desire to be presented to Father." At which point Christ took me and he parted a series of veils and presented me to Father. And Father put his hands on my head and he gave me a blessing. And after that blessing, I found myself standing back in the high room, back in Christ's presence. And again, Christ said to me, what do you desire? And I said, I desire to see events that will transpire during times of great tribulation directly before your second coming. And I had a vision open up before me. And I saw events that would transpire during times of extreme tribulation. As I saw these play out, the vision closed before me. And again, Christ said to me, what do you desire? And I said, I desire to be sent on a mission. Immediately, I found myself standing right above my body, which was still kneeling at my altar. And a horizontal portal opened up above and to the right of where I was kneeling, or at least where my body was kneeling. And as I went into it, I came out the other side, and I found myself in 
a strange land. Uh, there were th it was thick jungle. And although I didn't know where I was exactly, I didn't know what my mission was. There was a woman who had been locked up in a room. And there were a group of Muslim men who were coming to ravish and to behead her. And she was crying out unto God for deliverance. She was a Christian. And it was my mission to deliver her to a place of safety, which after I accomplished my mission, I found myself standing at the opposite end of that horizontal portal. I went into it. The next thing I knew, I was looking down at my body. The next thing I knew, I was back in my body. And I went down from that mountain. And this had started Saturday afternoon. It was now Saturday evening. And I had to get up very early the next morning and drive some distance. I got up about three o'clock. And uh, on my way back, I was actually heading to church Sunday morning, um, having missed two nights of sleep that week. I fell asleep at the wheel and I crashed uh, at a good rate of speed into a tree. And my vehicle was completely destroyed fewer than 12 hours after being asked if I was willing to sacrifice it. And I should have been killed and horribly maimed and every bone in my body broken and all of that if I had been wearing my seatbelt, which I wasn't. And none of that happened. I bruised my elbow really badly and I got a concussion. Well, over the succeeding days, the effects of that concussion became worse and worse and worse. Um, and I got to a point where I could function maybe three hours. And then it was like a steel trap would shut over my mind and I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for three days. And I just became worse and worse. And now it was a month after the accident. It was two days before Christmas. And I woke up that morning and I started the process of dying. And as I was in the process of transitioning from this side to the other side, I cried out unto Father and I said, Father, a month ago, you asked me if I was willing to sacrifice my vehicle and immediately you took it from me and that's okay. And then you asked me if I was willing to sacrifice my life. And now you're taking that from me. And if that's what you require of me at this time, I freely offer it. However, if that's not what you require of me at this time, I want to live and I want to be healed. As soon as I said that, the process of dying stopped. And I got the impression to reach out and ask a friend for a blessing. Everything transpired against me that day to prevent me from getting up to Salt Lake to receive that blessing. In fact, I didn't even make it till 1030. And I figured I was probably too late. As I knocked, and so I, I texted the, uh, the gentleman. And he said, no, you're not too late. I'm still up. Come over. And so when I knocked on the door, he answered. And he said, I've been inquiring of the Lord about your request, and he told me that you would be completely and immediately healed. He then laid his hands upon my head, and he said, by the power of the priesthood, I command you to be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And immediately, I was. And so I testify to you that Jesus is the Christ. I testify to you. 
The restored gospel of Jesus Christ is the doctrine of Christ. But the heavens have again been opened by Joseph Smith. That he and the end time servants talked about in DNC 101, the first labors in the last kingdom, are gathering out the strength of the Lord's house. That the doctrine of Christ is again being declared by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And that those who will receive it with gladness and who will enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit will be counted among the strength of the Lord's house and will be prepared and will be qualified as part of the strength of the Lord's house who will be gathered out on that end time exodus, which will culminate with meeting up with Enoch, the return of his city and establishing new Jerusalem to prepare the earth for the return of Jesus Christ in his glory. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.